brute force. If it doesn't work, you're just not using enough. You're listening to Software Radio, special operations military news, and straight talk with the guys in the community. Softrep.com, on time, on target. This is the first time we're doing this this way, where we have the recording going on uh, that we're going to put up on YouTube and playing the elements, you know, from the board. But anyway, first time in studio with us, Jack Carr, author of The Terminal List and former Navy SEAL. Great to have you here in studio, Thank you man. so much for having me. First book right here debut novel there it is there it is thank you guys so much it's great to be here yeah thanks for having us or thanks for coming on our show absolutely especially in studio it's always cool actually meet you guys in person yeah most of the ones i've done i've been uh on my on my uh, computer at home so this is (laughs) it's cool to be in a studio with all the actual equipment here yeah definitely i I think it's just it's it's a different experience when you're in the same room as the guys so to give some uh background on jack jack is a former navy seal served in seal teams two five seven and eleven and special boat team 12 uh so you're a, not, i was gonna say 20 year veteran or 19 year veteran 20 so yeah not not 11 but uh two five and seven were my were my teams um and uh yeah 20 years and so 20 in a wake up and then i was out <laughs> why do i have a 11 from uh, i don't know it's okay. it a, uh, a typo yeah so okay so I, so correcting myself two five and seven but then special boat team 12 yeah yeah cool and this is this is your first ever book that this you're writing. This is, this is, yeah. I always wanted genre. To, yep, yep. I always wanted to do that since I was a little kid. So as my time in the military was coming to an end, it was uh, time to transition out and figure out what that next uh, that next mission in life was going to be. And uh, part of that was, well, a big part was taking care of my family. And the other part was finding that, uh, that next thing that I wanted to do. And uh, the two things I wanted to do from a very early age were one, be a seal through my country in uniform and uh, second thing was to, to write fiction in this genre Super so cool. gave it a shot and here we are Absolutely. on soft rep radio and you know i uh I think it's super cool because I mean I had like the kind of the same thought when I got out of the military I was like I've read so many novels like and I have you know a, a military background like why don't I translate that experience into like giving like some authenticity to a novel and I mean you have spent 20 years in the Navy, um, pretty much all of it in the SEAL teams yep. or in Naval Special Warfare. Yeah. And you have like a real depth of experience to draw on and inform your work. Yeah, I mean, it, and it wasn't, that wasn't my, uh, you know, intention that one would lead to the other. Yeah, right? yeah. Two completely separate things. Um, and uh, it just so happened that as I was transitioning during that last year, as you know, once you drop your papers to get out, it's like, okay, you're off the off the track you were on, and now it's time to figure out how to administratively separate from the military, <laughs> um, which it seems like you're the first person to ever 
do it. That was my experience anyway. Um, and that was time to, to figure out what I was going to do next. So started started writing. And uh, as a kid, uh, you know, I transitioned from whatever young adult books into actual adult fiction, probably around fifth grade, I guess. I naturally gravitated to the, the same types of movies that I liked, you know, those movies that had things that had to do with what I was going to do later in life, which was hopefully become a Navy SEAL. Um, so I naturally gravitated towards books like that, too. So the Tom Clancy stuff, David Morrell, um, uh, uh, Nelson DeMille, and then later Stephen Hunter, and then later on Brad Thor and, and Vince Flynn. But um, but yeah, I naturally gravitated to the, that kind of fiction. So I always knew that uh, that one day I'd write it. And then while I was in the military, it just made sense. It, my mission really was to uh, study the enemy, study where we were going, study their you know their politics, their religion, their culture, uh, lessons learned from guys that had been there before us that I could make the best decisions I could under fire. And it just so happened that all that study translated well <laughs> to writing fiction uh, once I got out. So uh, a lot of my research was already done by both uh, the experiences that I had and the things that I'd studied. And it's a hell of a lot more fun than writing like policy memos in the Navy. I'm, yeah, I'm done with, I'm done with all that. Uh, you know, I just want to, want to do this, write, uh, write fiction. And uh, the second book, just uh, finishing that up now. And oh, that'll cool. be out next, uh, next spring. It's called True Believer. And uh, excited to, to keep going down this path. Well, let me ask you, as a uh, you know, guy who had a totally legit career as a Navy SEAL, um, what are the things in fiction, whether it's in um, books or movies, that you see and you're just like, oh my God, like that's completely wrong. Why are they doing that? Well, I try not to watch movies or read books with that that eye because it's uh, I want to enjoy them. Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't, uh, but I do I do see that stuff and then kind of just try to push it inside and enjoy it for what it is. Right, as so, an action adventure right, flick. Exactly. Yeah. So if I'm reading a book and all of a sudden someone takes the safety off their Glock or something like that, I try just to brush over that real quick. Yeah, yeah. And just move These on. These are not continue. the droids you're looking exactly. for. Exactly. I just I want to continue to enjoy the story if it's if it's a good story uh, and it's just. It's a minor distraction, so uh, so you won't find any of that in uh, in the terminal list. Uh, so um, the same thing in movies. You know, you find you know people are shooting and never never reload, or they they do it the, the wrong way, or they don't go behind cover, or whatever else. Yeah. So <laughs> it's uh, and uh, I wish I could announce here on Soft Ref Radio um, some uh, what's going to happen as far as uh, movie stuff. But the guy that optioned it for the movie is very excited to do oh, all cool. the stuff and do it right and train and and really uh, really uh, you know learn the tactics and uh, anyway. We'll, 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 I think hopefully we can announce that in a couple of weeks. Sure. But, uh, uh, my, my goal would be that, with, you know, I know they get distracted in Hollywood very easily as well, but uh, if they do go through with it and make the make the movie, uh, you won't find the That's uh, super Infinite cool. Mag. That's super cool. I mean, a first-time author and, like, already getting, like, some nibbles from Hollywood. I mean, it's that's, crazy. that's awesome. Yeah, I, could, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. Well, when did this uh, book come out? So March 6th. Okay. So. Okay, so it's been out for a little bit. What was like the genesis of um, of this character in this novel? Like, you must have you had a pretty good basis of what else was out there in this genre, and what was what was your take on it? What was your approach or your angle? Yeah, so I put about six, five or six different ideas uh, on the table and wrote about half a page to a page as far as uh, just a synopsis, ideas, kind of free, free flow type writing, and I looked at all those ideas, those possible storylines, and I picked the one that was the most visceral, the one that I thought would be the most hard-hitting out of the gate, and that was a story of revenge, of revenge without constraint, really. And uh, so that's how I wanted to wanted to enter this space was uh, you know as impactful as I as I possibly could. So that's the one that I that I focused on, and the title came very quickly, and then started outlining it. 
and just started started writing. Um, but uh, if you, as you as you read through it, there are definitely some some nuggets in there that only people that have been in the in the military will will pick up on. So there's a few little hidden gems for everybody in there. You, you draw on your experience, I take it, uh, deploying overseas and so forth. Yep, and I think that's why it, it uh, resonated with uh, Simon and Schuster, Atria, Emily Bessler books, is because it reads like their real emotions that the protagonist is feeling. And that's because I tapped into experiences that I had in real life and just brought those emotions to a completely fictional storyline. So it ended up being a very therapeutic and very emotional story to write, even though it was fiction. And I didn't expect that at the outset. I thought, hey, I'm just going to write you know, a good story that people are going to enjoy escaping into. And um, it ended up being a very personal writing yeah, experience. Yeah, it's inevitable, you know. Um, you're, um, I didn't expect that at all. But and I think that's really that comes through with uh, which is why it's doing so well is because uh, those emotions read like they're true because they are. Well, the other thing too that someone really only someone like you can really bring to the table is uh, I think the way the troops interact with one another. Um, and I don't know if this is like a solo vigilante tale or if you know it's about him interacting with his teammates also. But I find that. In, um, in in fiction, a lot of authors who never served in the military, they don't understand, like, the way we screw with each other all the time. You know, and I'm right. sure it's like that. On, I know it's like that on a SEAL platoon because I worked oh, with yeah. those guys overseas. Same on a Ranger platoon or a Special Forces team. Like, we're always like, putting the screws to each other. Oh, yeah. Yeah, you try, <laughs> when you get out, you try to do that. Sometimes people are surprised when you get out in the <laughs> private sector and start doing that same type of thing. It, it, uh, it, it doesn't, sometimes it doesn't play as well. Sometimes no, it does, no, but no, not, not always. Um, but, yeah, so I think that uh, that really resonates throughout uh, throughout the novel. And, uh, you know, I got to yeah explore uh, a, a topic that, I just gravitated to as a, as a kid and still gravitate towards in movies and, and books that I like to read, which is that, uh, that revenge thriller. And uh, I, uh, I wanted to have it be more than just a book about a guy who, quote unquote, has nothing, nothing to, to lose. lose. Exactly. Yeah. Um, so I, so that, was, that was the first question I came, came to was how do, you, uh, how do you make him already dead, essentially? How do you make him like, uh, you know, tap into that code of honor from the samurai Bashudo, how they would go into battle thinking they're already dead because that they thought that made them more effective and efficient warriors. And how do I take that mindset and drop it into a modern-day warrior? And that's where the conspiracy comes in with uh, the government testing out uh, drugs on our nation's most elite soldiers and oh, then having some side effects that they need to, to cover up that he then unravels and puts his list together and then starts working his way up that list, um, not necessarily using just the, his skills, but using what worked against us in Iraq and Afghanistan and bringing those things to this country and essentially becoming the insurgent right, that he'd been right. fighting, becoming that terrorist that he'd been fighting for the, the 16, 17 years that he'd been in the military. So, um, and then escalating it with each uh, and every hit that he does on this soil. So it's a, a role reversal. In exactly. Yeah. And, exactly. And what is, what is the like protagonist's main background? So it's uh, very similar to mine. So he's a uh, <laughs> prior enlisted SEAL sniper that uh, becomes an officer and is at that point in his career where he is uh, his, his deployment will be the last one where he tactically leads guys in the battlefield. Uh, and I knew what that felt like because after I got back from that deployment is when I decided to, to, to get on out of the military. Um, so he's at that stage, and he has kids and is deciding that, hey, it's, uh, it's time, to, time to move on and, and take care of them and, and leave, this, uh, leave this old life behind. And that's when disaster strikes both on the battlefield and on the home front, and uh, then uh, then off he goes on his uh, on his crusade. Which I mean, it's not uh, you're not wrong either. I mean, for a lot of guys, it's like the moment things slow down and you get and you leave that life behind. That's where like things start to come unraveled and people have to reconstruct their identity as a in civilian life. 
Yep, yep. And it's, it's, everybody transitions at some point, uh, you know, in the military or professional sports or, or Olympic athletes kind of deal with it in the extreme because they've been so focused on something for, for so long that has given them a, a sense of purpose greater than themselves. Yeah. Um, but everybody transitions from some th- from things at uh, different parts of their, of their life. And uh, for us in the military, I think it's about really finding that uh, next mission and finding that thing that gives us that sense of purpose and really identifying that and then it allows you to answer yes or no to different opportunities that come along as, because you've essentially already figured out if you're going to pursue them or not because you've identified what's important ahead of time. Yeah, I uh, mentioned earlier that we uh, we interviewed Nate Boyer yesterday. Yeah. And we were like, oh, yeah, I know him. We, yeah. did, we did some charity yeah, work Yeah, Nate's together. great. That's yeah. great. We did something with the uh, Special Forces Charitable Trust. It, uh, they do um, a lot for, for the families of guys that, uh, that really didn't, uh, that didn't make it back. And that, uh, uh, anyway, great organization, all about, all about helping the guys and their families. And uh, we do a uh, shoot every year for the foundation. And it's a uh, sporting clays shoot where you don't win by how many clays you break. You win by uh, how much money you raise. So it's a competition to raise the most money. <laughs> and it's, uh, it's a lot of fun. And we were, we, uh, were co-hosts last year. So Nate it's a, it's a cool. great guy, and he's doing amazing things for uh, both veterans and uh, and guys in professional sports as well, and bringing those two communities together. It's awesome. So, can you give us a hint of? where this series is going. You said that there's already a, a sequel that you wrapped up. Yeah, so I don't want to give away too much, uh, but I'll say that the, uh, the characters from the first book, I don't want to say which ones, uh, do make it into to book number two, but uh, which ones and in what capacity, that's the that's the secret for, for book number two. That kind of leaves it open-ended at the, uh, well, I wanna, don't want to ruin it for everybody. <laughs> but uh, yeah, the idea would be to have a, uh, uh, a series. And uh, I got, also, I know you've had Brad Thor on, yeah. and uh, he really opened the door to this industry for me. And, and uh, he could not have been more generous with his time and his advice. And, uh, and yeah, I would not be here today uh, living essentially this, this dream that I've had since childhood without, without him. And not support, to mention so. high praise from Brad Thor on the book, as well as Chuck Norris, of all people. <laughs> Chuck Norris, yeah. I got to have a great picture with Chuck holding up the book. And, uh, yeah, he's a, he's a fan. And, I mean, obviously I grew up, you know, a child of the 80s. I grew up with, uh, <laughs> with Chuck Norris movies. And, uh, Invasion he, USA. Uh, oh, Invasion USA, a classic. You know, Lone Wolf <laughs> McQuaid, one of my favorites. Uh, the Delta Force, of Delta course. Force. Yeah, love it. Um, and, uh, yeah, he, he actually got my number, and he FaceTimed me out of the blue. Really? Uh, right, yeah, before I submitted the book. And he, uh, he uh, yeah, just called me out of the blue to say hi. And amazing. Yeah, absolutely <laughs> incredible. Absolutely incredible. That was totally so surreal. Cool. Yeah. And now he has a, they have a picture with him holding up the book. And just, yeah, just could not, could not have been nicer. I've had so much support from everybody, um, you know, both in and out of the publishing industry as I've transitioned. I feel uh, extremely fortunate. That's for sure. But yeah, would not be here without Brad Thor. And in his latest novel, Spymaster, I was reading that. And on page 50, he actually mentions the terminal list. He wrote it into the novel. Oh, like the characters reading the book. on the Yeah, <laughs> yep, exactly. And what he didn't, cool. what he, uh, uh, he did, he, well, he might know it if he listens to this now. But uh, you know, I had already written Spymaster into my second novel in oh, a similar really? way. So it's just uh, funny how that happened it was without any pre-planning whatsoever. Yeah, I mean, well, you're right. I mean, Brad has had an incredible run, and I mean, he's still going strong. Going strong, going strong. He's just amazing. Yeah, and he, for any you know would-be authors out there, he uh, when we first talked, he gave me some some great advice, and uh, he said, "Give yourself permission to write a bad chapter." 
And for me to hear that, just I think I was about four months into my writing when we talked for the first time, and to hear that from somebody that had been so successful was very liberating. Uh, and he didn't really mean it's okay to write a bad chapter. What he meant was, you know, don't wait for everything to be perfect yeah. to sit down. Otherwise, and write. you'll never write. Exactly. Yeah. Just sit down and do it, which is why that uh, Nike slogan has uh, stayed with us for so long. Just sit <laughs> down, just do it. Um, what is it that you like you've learned from him? Because there are so many thriller authors, and no one has had the longevity out there that Brad Thor has. And, like, what do you think that is? Because also, unlike you or Tony Tata, who we were talking about before, A.J. Tata, he is not a military guy, yet he consults with the guys to say, like, am I getting the dialogue right? Is the terminology right? You know, I'm just wondering from you, what did you learn from him? Right, yeah, that first one, the, the give yourself permission to write a bad chapter, like I said, very, very um, liberating. Uh, but the most important piece of advice is something that, uh, you know, the, well, a lot of people already know, but it was nice to hear it. It was cool to hear it from him. And he said, the only difference between a published author and an unpublished author is that the published author never quit. And, uh, you know, to hear that from that obviously resonated with me because of, of buds and how easy we make it for guys to self-select out of that program. Yeah. And, uh, you know, it's just a, you know, it's just in life in general, you know, just never quit. Um, so hearing that from him and hearing it about publishing was, was pretty cool. And, uh, and then he said, hey, I'm not going to help you as you go along this, through this process. But uh, you know, at, the, at the end of it, if you actually write a book, uh, and I'm not going to help you at all, uh, but if you do write one, um, I will uh, let, the, I'll, I'll let Simon & Schuster know that uh, you wrote one and um, let them know it's coming. So uh, that was, yeah, he opened the door. So he didn't even read it, but, uh, (laughs) but, uh, you know, he read it now, but at the time I think it's very safe. Yeah, it's more, it was, it was safer not to read it probably because it was horrible. Then he could say, Hey, I didn't even read this thing. Um, (laughs) but, uh, yeah, so he he let Simon and Schuster know it was coming and it ended up on Emily Bessler's desk at, uh, Emily Bessler books, which is an imprint of Simon and Schuster, who's Brad's publisher. And, uh, the next thing you know, we're off to the races. It's awesome. Yeah, yeah, I couldn't, couldn't be feel more fortunate. I'd love to also get into your actual Navy SEAL background, starting from, I'd have to look at my notes here, but 1997. Yeah, I went to Bud's in early 97. Yeah, and, so uh, yeah. what was like the motivation to become a SEAL? I mean, I feel yeah. like everybody has a different story from... Drago's been on here who literally nice. like saw the movie Navy SEALs <laughs> and Charlie Sheen and said, I want to do this yep. to, you know, other guys who just had adversity growing up. I think it's always like a unique story. Yeah. For you guys. Yeah. Drago and I were on the East Coast together. So uh, we were in, in Iraq together. Um, great guy. <laughs> Um, An interesting character. Yeah, yeah. It's been a few years since I think the last time I ran into him was at SHOT Show about three or four years ago. But uh, but great guy. Um, yeah, so I always knew I wanted to join the military essentially from my earliest memories. And uh, my grandfather was in World War II and he was killed on the aircraft carrier Bunker Hill wow. in May of 1945 when two kamikazes uh, hit, the, hit the aircraft carrier. Uh, that day he was a pilot, flew that uh, Corsair, which was that uh, plane with the gull wings. They would fold up so you could fit them on the on the deck. And that first kamikaze essentially was a direct hit on the ready room. And wow. uh, he was never even found. It was He's still listed as missing in action. But uh, I grew up with, and it almost sunk the carrier. It took it out of the war. It limped back to, I think, Seattle for repairs, but it never never uh, never made it back to the, uh, to, to the war. Uh, so I grew up with his pictures of his old squadron, pictures of that plane, uh, silk maps that they used to give aviators back then so they could get wet and wouldn't wouldn't disintegrate if they hit the water, uh, his old medals, his wings. So I grew up with that stuff. And uh, essentially, he was, even though I never knew him, um, he was a, a hero and to me as a, as a little kid. Uh, and then I think at age, it was age seven, I found out what Navy SEALs were. So we were watching the, uh, well, so 
back then, no no remote control. I was a remote control for my dad during football games. <laughs> and on Sundays, uh, during the commercials, he'd look at his watch and say, go. And I'd run up to the TV, and I'd switch the channel from football to whatever movie was playing on the opposite station. And back then, it was usually a um, World War II movie back then. And so we'd have two minutes to watch that movie, and then I'd run back up, switch it back to football, <laughs> and sit and wait patiently until the next commercial break. Um, but one of those was The Frogman, an old black and white film that showed guys crawling up over the beach to, to blow up obstacles. And uh, I asked my dad, hey, who are, who are these guys? And uh, he said, those are frogmen. And I said, what's a frogman? Uh, and he said, ask your mother. And uh, so I asked my mom, and uh, she was a librarian at the time. And we went down to the local library that next week and did a bunch of research. And this was early 80s, so there's hardly anything. Yeah, very little out there. Yeah, very little out there. There's a couple mentions in a couple book chapters, a couple magazine articles. But my takeaway well, uh, at I'm age sure, seven. When did Dick Marcinko's book come out? 90s. Yeah, 90, oh, wow. Okay. 92, I think. Was the gotcha. Rogue Warrior. Uh, so this is uh, a decade before that. Um, well, even earlier. And uh, yeah, the takeaway was, hey, this is a pretty elite fighting force, and the, the training is uh, touted in, in these articles anyway as some of the toughest ever devised by a modern military. So at age seven, they had me, and I was I was in. And I uh, just kept my eye on that goal through junior high, high school, college, and then I enlisted after college because the by then there was a little more out there. Uh, Marcinko's books, the first two anyway, yeah. had come out. There was a little bit more out there. There's no internet yet, but you could still, there, was, there were a few more books. Uh, Point Man was out there. Um, uh, some a couple of the other Vietnam ones. Yeah, exactly. stuff, yeah. Exactly. So that was starting to, to come out in the wake of, uh, of Marcinko's first books. It's and, funny. Uh, yeah, it just... just uh, I had, like, a similar experience. I think, like, the first time I ever heard of, like, special forces or special operations was watching... Um, it was one of the Tom Clancy films that came out with Harrison Ford, where there's like this mission Clear where the, danger. where the SAS goes into the desert, oh, Patriot and games. yeah, it's like a covert operation. They raid a terrorist camp and they go into the tents. and And I remember I was probably ten or something like that, and I'm watching this with my mom, and I was like, "Mom, what? what? Like, I couldn't in my mind make sense. Like, is this a war or is it not a war? What is this?" And she's like, "It's a secret mission." I'm like, "Can they do that?" She's like, "Yeah." I was like, all right. <laughs> <laughs> so you're a lot younger than I am. I think I was a, uh, I was in freshman in college when that movie came out. Uh, but I remember the guy sipping the coffee. That's a kill. Yeah, 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 exactly. So, I was yeah, like, I want to be that guy. Yeah, exactly, <laughs> exactly. So, yeah, I read all, yeah, uh, so that, all that, uh, both that fiction and then all that, that nonfiction that was coming out just kind of, you know, fed into what I wanted to do later and into my research. And um, I, through that research, I found out that uh, most officers aren't snipers, and I knew I wanted to be a sniper. So uh, even though I'd been to college, I enlisted because I wanted to go to sniper school and uh, ended up doing that with Brandon. Actually, we're in the same sniper oh, school really? class. Yep, <laughs> same sniper school class. And, uh, and I was back in 2000, so it was all Vietnam era type tactics Old that we were school. still, yep, yeah, more of, an, more of an art than a science. I'm going to have to mention this because, you know, it's funny. I was like, hey, Brandon, I did see him the other day. I was like, Brandon, are you familiar with Jack Carr? But I didn't, you know, <laughs> yeah, realize yeah. Jack Carr yeah. is not, you I, know. I Your met, birthday. I, I, uh, I met with a, a SEAL yesterday, actually, former SEAL, and uh, Eric Davis was his instructor at sniper school. I was like, that's hilarious. Nice. <laughs> yeah. yeah, we had a good time, but it was definitely more of an art back then, especially the wind calls and all that. But uh, I would think now, especially with all the all instruments, the, uh, yeah, the advancements in technology and then the experience that we've had since September 11th, um, you know, I'm, I'm sure it's more of a blend of art and science uh, at this point. But it would be fun to go back through today and see what they're, yeah. what they're doing, you know, 18 years later. Yeah, I mean, I think it's changed tremendously just like GWAT era. Mm -hmm. You know, the technology is 
grown in leaps and bounds. And like you said, it's more about the math now than like trying to like eyeball the wind calls and stuff like that. Yeah, a lot more holds. Uh, yeah. Obviously, great advances in, in in scopes and how they do. It. It's just it's incredible what I hear is going on out there today. So yeah. um, pretty cool. And I'll, I'll be incorporating that into to future novels. <laughs> that's for sure. So, what made you want to make that jump then to officer? Yeah, so I, I it was before September 11th, and I had some uh, let's say less than stellar leadership in my first couple of platoons, um, and so I was like, hey, I can either complain about this or I can uh, I can go the officer route and do it better than it was done for me. Um, but truth be told, had September 11th happened in the spring of 2001, uh, I would have stayed enlisted and uh, and gone that other route. But as it was, it was uh, I had to make the decision in spring 2001, and when I got back from my first uh, or my uh, next deployment, off I went to OCS to uh, fold underwear and T-shirts for three months, which uh, somehow qualifies you to lead men into battle, and then right back to right back to the SEAL teams. Yeah. It, you didn't have to go through a. Um some sort, I know they don't make you go through buds, of course, Thanks, uh, second time, thank God. But do you have to go through some sort of like SEAL officer indoctrination? Or? I think now you go back uh, through SQT, SEAL qualification training. I think uh, it depends. Okay. I think they were um, – I didn't have to do that. I went right to the – maybe it was because of what was going on in the war at the time. But I went back uh, right back to the SEAL teams to see Team 2, and then I was out the door to Afghanistan within a, within a few weeks, which was great wow. because I got some you know experience very early on as an officer. And, um, yeah, I just couldn't put a – it was, it was a great experience, and then got back to Team 2, and then it was a couple of Iraq deployments after that. But, um, yeah, it was, a, it was a good run. For, for being an officer, um, it, was a, it was a good a, a good run, so I feel very fortunate to have been able to do the things that I got to do for as long as I got to do them. Yeah, Ian was showing me your resume, actually, before uh, I guess the publicist shot it over to us, and he was like, I can't believe how many SEAL teams this guy's been on. <laughs> and yeah. I was like, oh, he's an officer, so he kind of had to go to where the, the billets were. Right. Um, but, yeah, you had a totally awesome run. It was pretty good yeah. for the timing was pretty, you know pretty good, which is a, is a lot of it, of course. And um, uh, yeah, great experience at, uh, at all my teams. And uh, but now I kind of look at it as, hey, that's something I did, and it's always a part of me. But now, now I write. And yeah, I do some other things. I have some other businesses going as well. But uh, but I love writing. I'm so passionate about writing the whole the whole process, coming up with these the ideas and coming up with the outlines and figuring out the titles and then problem solving, just like we did on the battlefield overseas, but doing it. In fiction now, so I'm just aggressively solving problems on the written page instead of uh, downrange uh, with, with the guys. And so fi- fiction is a really good place I find to explore ideas that um, you couldn't do uh, as, as, say, a journalist or a historian or something like that. Or maybe maybe it's just something that's very controversial, or maybe it's something that you're never really going to establish all the facts of. Sure. But fiction is a place where you can kind of explore different ideas and like what what if you know the what ifs. Sure, no, no, it's a great place, great place for that, great place to exercise some of that creativity and continue to because that's what it is: creative, aggressive problem solving, downrange. That's uh, that's that's all it is. And uh, doing the same thing here uh, in the pages of the of these books is uh, I find it to be one therapeutic and two a lot of fun. And uh, it's just, it, 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 I feel, like I said, I keep saying I feel very fortunate at because I, I do to be doing what I wanted to do since I was a, a little kid and, and to have it working out the way it is, is, uh, you know, beyond belief, really. One of the other things I wanted to ask you about, just going back to um, military stuff, was that I saw that um, when you were in the SEALs that your guys, you and your guys had worked with um, Iraqi counterparts and I think a lot of people have this idea in their head that SEALs or Rangers, like maybe that's something SF guys do. I don't think they realize that like 
our entire military has basically been doing that yeah. in this war. Right. The uh, the foreign internal defense mm-hmm. um, thing has uh, we, we were doing it before then, and we'll, we'll continue to do it well into the future, I'm sure. But uh, yeah, book number two actually takes an experience oh, that okay, I had cool. working with the uh, the Iraqis downrange in like 2006, I think it was, and uh, I, I took it a certain experience that happened, and I thought, hey, what if I just fictionalized this and made it a lot more interesting? And uh, and but but the so it is totally fiction, but the inspiration behind book number two comes from from a real, real world event. That's cool. Um, and then of course I totally fictionalized it and say, hey, what, what if this was actually a movie or actually a great book? How would I how would that read? And uh, there'd be way more firefights for one. <laughs> yeah, a lot more of that. If you <laughs> throw in some uh, some beautiful women, uh, yeah. some of that. So there's a uh, little some some conspiracy. You got to have some bad guys out there too at the, the highest levels of, uh, of government. That's always fun. So um, yeah. And last year I did uh, some reporting from the Philippines, and when I went and visited uh, NAVSOG, uh, the Philippine SEALs, mm-hmm. uh, I mean there's a uh, American SEAL platoon there yeah. working with them and training them. And I mean those guys were doing great work out there. Yeah. There's a very strong relationship yep. between American SEALs and the Philippine SEALs. It's really cool to see. Yeah, yeah. I got to spend a little time down there, uh, and that's where I really you know, I had. I think that was the first time I had more Army SF guys um, working with me than I did just SEALs. And, uh, you know, those guys have uh, been studying unconventional warfare and studying, um, you know, the culture and and how to negotiate and uh, do all that sort of thing from day one in the Q course, whereas ours is kind of after we do all the aggressive stuff after we weed right, out. Right. So it's kind of a, a it's kind of the flip model. But uh, I realized that there was a great guy down there. I won't say his name because I didn't ask him ahead of time. But a great warrant officer in uh, Army SF that was down there from first group. And uh, I realized that man, this guy knows what he's doing. He has been studying this part of the world and studying um, uh, unconventional warfare type stuff for a long, long time. And then that that uh, Army warrant course for SF guys is awesome. And uh, he's learned so much there. So that's when I started catching up on uh, some. Of my, my studies uh, rather than just how to kick in best way to kick in a door and take down a target and all that <laughs> stuff but so just kind of open my aperture quite a bit and uh, the Philippine um, marine general in charge of our island uh, became like a mentor to me that's how I, I, I that's how which, I worked that which relationship which general was that um, what is his name I'm forgetting his name right now he actually wrote a, a thesis that's uh, on my bookshelf um, Guerrero was, was it Saban no no uh, Guerrero, I think. Guerrero? I think okay. that's his name. No, so I don't, I don't know him. But, uh, yeah, great great guy, and uh, I just learned a ton from him. So I just said, hey, you know, I'm kind of uh, I'm here to learn from you. And I, I got to learn a, a lot on that deployment that actually found its way into the, the pages of the book because uh, that was that's the time cool. I could take a breath and actually study in the environment where these guys have been countering this insurgency for, you know, 100 years plus now. Oh, yeah. So they, Since they, the uh, Rebellion. Know, what uh, know what they're doing. And Philippine Marines are great. They're like so – in so many ways, they're like a mirror image of you. Marines, like you could take a Philippine Marine and put him in the American Marine Corps, and like you wouldn't be able to tell the difference between the two. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> have the same haircut, yeah. same stature. <laughs> no, exactly. <laughs> same attitude. Exactly, and just uh, <laughs> living out there amongst the amongst the populace down there, I, I learned a ton. So, and it was great preparation for my next deployment to Iraq because then I had even more Army SF guys than we were um, you know, in those four southernmost provinces of, of southern Iraq for the, the drawdown and eventual withdrawal. But um, yeah, it was uh, it was great preparation for that. And I've always had a great working relationship with uh, with Army SF. So um, yeah, it's been, it's been a, it, was, it was a good run. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And then uh, you went and did your um, 
You had to go do some staff time at the uh, training center? I did. So when I got back, that's really when I decided, hey, it's, uh, it's time to get out. But I still had a few years years left till I hit that 20-year that right, mark. Right. So it actually, the timing worked out very well for me. So even though I decided to get out when I got back from that deployment, because um, up until that point, I mean, what you owe it to the guys is to be solely focused on the, the mission at hand. That's what you owe them, their families, you know, the mission, the country. Um, but... I found when I wasn't taking guys downrange and was now moving to the training command as the uh, as the ops officer. So essentially, for people non-military listening, it's like a COO of a, a company just running day-to-day type operations. Um, uh, I had time to, to take a breath and think about that transition. And I know a lot of guys don't get that. A lot of guys come right off a of deployment and then say, hey, I'm getting out, and then they just have a certain number of months, um, possibly a year, to make that transition, but they haven't had the time to take a breath and really look around and explore what their right. what their options are and maybe intern at a few places to really understand, okay, if I get out of the military and move on to this other, um, this other sector, what is that really like? Is it different than I've read, uh, different than what I think it's going to be like, different than the movies I've seen about it? Um, so to really be able to uh, to explore their options, um, I, I, like I said, I, I had that time. When a lot we, of guys don't have that. We interviewed uh, Todd Apolsky uh, a few weeks back. He was a Marine, went, served in JSOC, and then came back to the Marine Corps, and he was saying how fortunate he was. And that the last couple of years in the Marine Corps, he's writing, like, policy letters or something. Uh-huh. He, he, he was, or no, he's doing doctrine writing. And he was like, it was great that I got to share some of that knowledge with the force, but I also had a breather behind a yeah. desk to start to get my life together before I retired. Exactly. That was very beneficial. And being at the training command, I mean, that thing, Bud's, is, it's a machine, and it's, yeah. it's moving. So <laughs> whether you're there or not. It's, and it's grinding through human it souls. <laughs> exactly. Yeah, it's crushing <laughs> souls daily. But the, I mean, the, the worst part, actually, was being, so my office was right there by the bell. Um, so my door was always open because I, I don't think we had air conditioning or it would go on at the wrong times. And was Anyway, so doors were always open. So I always had a view of that bell. So I got to see pretty much everybody that would walk up and stand there and ring that thing and put their helmet down. Wow. And you just feel so bad for these guys because you're like, you know, he could have had the same dream for the same amount of time that, that I did growing up. And uh, now he's you know made the decision to to uh, not continue with the program. You can just see it in their eyes. And it's uh, that was the, that's the toughest part to, to, to see. You know, you never. Yeah. You, you want the right guys to make it through, so it's a necessary part of the process. But you know, when you see it, it's like, oh man, that's just tough. Um, and then, of course, the the instructors just they switch once you do that, and they're not the the you know the nightmares oh, yeah. that uh, yeah. that they were up until that point. Because you know, you want these guys to think, hey, well, and it's true that hey, you can still go on, you can still serve your country, you can still do good things. Take what you've learned here um, and apply it to the rest of your life going forward. Um, so make this a productive type of type of thing rather than a demoralizing. When, one. Um, when I went through uh, the Ranger indoctrination program, that was probably like the best tactic they had because the guys who quit, they got to go sit by the fire, eat an <laughs> MRE. And uh, I remember one of the instructors coming and lecturing us like in the middle of a smoke session at like three in the morning. And he was like, listen, men, you can get up and quit right now. Go sit by the fire. You can still be a good American. <laughs> still be a good soldier. Just quit. Yeah. You're, 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 you know, your friends can't see you. You're all laying down in the dirt. Just get up and quit. Go on. That got more people to quit than, you know, push-ups and flutter kicks all night. Oh, interesting. I mean, it works. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, I remember being in Buds in that surf, uh, you know, start of hell week, and everybody's just starting to quit in droves. And, uh, you know, sometimes guys would yell, hey, come back, come back, don't quit. And I was always just kind of quiet because I was like, hey, the process is working. Yeah, yeah. I'm like, I liked it. So I I feel bad saying that. We edit that. Um, But it (laughs) makes me sound like a terrible person. But uh, I I like it. You're being honest about, you know, the process and and the job that you had to do. I get it. Especially while you're going through the process, you want to be one of those last men standing. I I get it. Because you can't have somebody who wants to figuratively ring the bell in combat. 
Like, you can't, yeah. you can't have it. And you got to trust that the guy next to you is going to stick it out with you. Yeah, so it seems to be working. And, uh, you know, what we have to have a harder time with is selecting for character. So it's easy to find that guy that can run really fast and, and not quit. Yeah. But how do you select for character? And I think it's uh, true uh, across the board. I think. Yeah. So I think the Israelis do. They do a few different things where they actually get data points on that as the guys go through for I think it's called they probably changed the name, but, you know, Flotilla 13, their version of the seals. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Um, so, they, 13, yeah. so they do things that, uh, uh, you know, they give a group of uh, guys shovels or paddles and tell them, hey, dig a foxhole for yourself and dig one for the for the team here. And then we'll see which ones dig their dig the their own first and which ones jump in and do the group one and just a little, little data point. And so they do a few different things like that where they collect some information on character and can drop people for that. Um, so, yeah. yeah I didn't know that at all. That's mm-hmm. really interesting. Yeah, we don't necessarily do that uh, as well in our in our training pipelines. They might do it now, but, uh, you know, as of when I left, uh, it was still uh, push-ups, sit-ups, run, obstacle course, swim, well, we, don't you quit. Can, you can see the strains on the military after 16 years of war that, you know, starting to fray. The, the ethics, the morality, things like that starting to fray a little bit. So, yeah, I think you're right. It's important to, to look at those things as well. Yeah, at least data points and at least have the, you know, the, the leadership has, has options if you need to get rid of somebody that is actually passing the course on paper, but it doesn't have that, um, for lack of a better word, team ability. It doesn't have that, that piece that we're looking for, that intangible. Well, that's why you have non-selects, right, guys, who, like, like they um, – we do it in the army. I, I, I think the Navy does the same. Like they can like board guys out. Like technically they made it through all these physical events, but like that guy's not a team player. Right. Right. So yeah, I think we do something similar, but you have to generate a lot of paperwork. Uh, so it, sometimes it, uh, sometimes guys do slip through like in any, isn't that, isn't that technically what happened to that Dan Bilzerian guy? I mean, he went through the whole training twice, right? I believe. I think I heard him on Rogan, and uh, he talked something about something like that. And then, yeah, I'm not sure. I'm not sure I wasn't there at the time. But I and I believe Brandon interviewed him for Safra. Oh, did he, he really? Yeah, and he talked years ago. And I think he talked about that he, you know, made it through buds, did the entire thing physically, and at the, I guess at the very end, I wouldn't know because this is not my area of expertise. But they were just like, this is not the right guy for the job. Maybe, possibly. I don't know. Yeah, that's what I believe I was kind of revealed in the interview you did with Brandon. I mean, I can tell you it definitely happens in a special forces assessment and selection. You have guys who do well on all the physical events. They make it to the end of the course, but they're not selected. Right. They're not invited to come to the qualification course. Got it. And it's because the instructors see something. Right. And, and actually, um, they do a, a lot of... Um, team events yep. in SFAS to see how you work with other people, right. how do you how do you relate to other people, Got and it. people end up becoming non-selects because of that. Interesting. Yeah, that's that's good. Yeah. That's good. That's probably the most, uh, a more important trait than if you, you know, run uh, your, your three miles in, you know, 15 minutes or, or 16. Yeah. Uh, but how yeah. you... Uh, how you do it, uh, deal with the, the with the team aspects of this, and how you contribute. So that's really what it's all about: is is uh, you know adding value to the team, and is this person going to add value when he shows up at a SEAL team in his first platoon? Um, and that's that's what you're really looking for. Super cool. Uh, well, this has been great, and uh, I, I did want to ask uh, one other thing though, um, and get into this. Yeah. I mean, was writing a fiction novel always a dream for you, the same mm-hmm. way that being a SEAL was? Yep, pretty much exactly. 
exactly the same. I just knew that uh, the military had to come first because you're you know, kind of on the clock age-wise yeah. on that. So, um, <laughs> yeah, I was, I was definitely doing that first. So then and while, you know, you were talking about the Philippines experience, while you were in the military, were you thinking, like, I'm going to use this at some point when mm-hmm. I put out? Okay. No, not really. Um, it just happened to, uh, to work out that way, that uh, all that studying I did applies to what I'm writing now yeah. in a fictional sense, uh, as do the experiences. But at the time, I wasn't, uh, I didn't write, I didn't practice, I didn't think about storylines, I didn't do anything except uh, really study the enemy and uh, try to make our, uh, our platoons and troops the, the best I could at going down range. Well, because it reminds me of Brad Thor actually said this the last time he was on. You know, your first novel, you have like your whole life to write. You know, and then the second, like, there's a due date, you need right. to get it out that next year. So I'm wondering, like, is this book the dream that you had for many years? Like, this same idea? This is it. I mean, it's, uh, although I wasn't thinking about it, um, what this became through the writing process is really that dream. Is uh, that's that's it? This is the you know the, the best I could do out of the out of the gates for a for a debut novel, and uh, like I said, it seems to be resonating with people. And yeah, I couldn't have scripted it better. Like, uh, when did that protagonist idea come to your mind? I think it was December of. 2014 or 15. I have to, everything. All the dates are in, sure in my my elder years here. All the dates are kind of blending together. <laughs> but uh, you know, about a about a year before I I got out, and okay. it was like, okay, now it's time to. I have time. I'm not taking guys down range anymore. Um, and, and my only job now is to figure out how to get out of the military administratively. I seem to have a little more time on my hands than I've had the last 19 years, and uh, I can start thinking about this. And so, really, it came together fairly quickly. Just the idea for uh, the protagonist, the uh, protagonist's name, uh, the title, um, and all that other all those things came together fairly quickly and then it was just time to time to write and uh, continue down that path and um, problem solve on the written page very cool and then what other authors besides brad thor were inspiring you, yeah, you know, to you stephen hunter absolutely amazing so he wrote put a point of impact um, which became the movie shooter yep. with mark Wahlberg. um and uh he and I, it so happened that i just uh I, I knew him through his daughter which was crazy so <laughs> uh so i got to reach out to him and he wrote a nice blurb for the book couldn't have been nicer cool. just uh, an amazing guy and he's not on social media or anything he's uh he's old school um uh, but he, i think he writes some amazing things and uh, i've been a fan since i've been caught some from college when I read Point of Impact for the first time. Um, of course, Vince Flynn's Term Limits uh, is just one of, my, one of my favorites, even though it doesn't feature Mitch Rapp, who is the uh, protagonist of his next novels. Um, but uh, all of them were great. But Term Limits in particular was his, his first one and his debut and, and uh, you know, the one that he had the time to write without a due date. And, uh, you know, some of that Charm School back from Nelson DeMille in the 80s, classic right there, Brotherhood of the Rose, David Morrell, also back in the 80s. Um, but there's so much great stuff out there and I think that's why everybody in, in this um, in, in publishing has been so welcoming uh, which is not how I thought it was going to be you know from the outside starting into a new a new field you think that the people that have been there that are established might keep you at arm's length and uh, not want the new competition coming in and that's what I thought and it has been 180 out from that everyone has been well, so welcoming and so kind and generous with their time because I think they realize that hey there's room for there's room for good books out there and there's room for a lot of good books out there so um yeah it's just it's, well it's to have a, a dude with your background who, who served 20 years in uh, naval special warfare and you know you're not paired up with a ghostwriter you're a literate guy wrote a book on your i mean that's so i do have a writing partner so it's not a ghostwriter but okay. uh, but somebody for the first book to help you well, we're, yeah, we're partners in it, and he's a great guy. Uh, and it, it, coming from that team background, it's uh, it, I found it 
so originally I wanted to talk to him because he comes from the pharmaceutical industry, uh, which is not a very popular industry at the moment. If, you, <laughs> if you've been in the, look, not watching the, the news, uh, so <laughs> I will refrain from from naming exactly where he works. Uh, but there's a, a part of the book that uh, that deals with pharmaceutical industry. Oh, cool! Uh, and that's where the drugs and the conspiracy come in. So, um, but he's always wanted to write fictional thrillers since he was a kid as well. And so in talking, it just became so apparent. It was just natural to let's partner up on this. And coming from that team background, it really helps to discuss it with someone and be able to talk through. Exactly. And, um, you know, so it's almost like if you create a piece of art, and you unveil it to a crowd for the first time with no one else having seen it before. And yeah. you hear the gasps of, oh, my gosh, that's horrible, or whatever. So this way, you at least have another set of eyes that you trust yeah. on it ahead of time. You bounce ideas back and forth. Uh, you can problem solve together as a team. So, I, And he had no military background at all, but uh, but brings that pharmaceutical side of the house in there. He has a legal background as well, uh, some lobbying background for the D.C., side of this for the political that's side of that when you're writing a so book it really made this a uh, it's not an operations order you're right exactly yeah. so so it really became a uh, you know it was a great friendship that's uh, that's gotten even stronger because of the the writing we've done together and uh, you know I'm the I'm the the face of it and I'm the I'm the, I'm the front guy because of the, my background and and everything else but it really is a, is a team effort yeah, and I feel very fortunate that uh, that I have that advantage you're so, al- you're also doing something that's kind of uncharted in that I mean there's so many teammates of yours writing memoirs you're, I don't know if the only guy or one of the only Navy SEALs writing a military thriller, at least that I know of. You, well, Dick Marcinko kind of sure, plowed sure. right through that. Uh, but I'm thinking of, of you know, the GWAT veterans right. and stuff. I feel like it's all memoirs. There are some people who, uh, like uh, Dalton Fury, he wrote a, a sort of, not really a memoir, but a book about his experience in Afghanistan um, as a Delta Force commander, and then he kind of segued into writing fiction. Actually, very good fiction. But of the SEALs, I, I can't think of SEALs, yeah. anyone other than, as you said, Dick Marcinko is writing fiction. But, you know, yeah. the, like the guys we have on this show, whether it's Rob O'Neill or, you know, Brandon, all, you know, they've all written memoirs, and, and you're going a different path. Exactly. And I, you know, I, I had a, a, a great run, like we talked about, but, uh, you know, I, I would just want to focus on the, on the fiction. That's cool. Um, and plus it is, it is a little, maybe, maybe a little saturated out there. And I, you know, I get asked about that a lot. Hey, what do you think of this book or that book that a, that a SEAL is, has written that's, that's nonfiction? And I like to frame it as, hey, you know, that's that person's perspective of either a mission or uh, his time in that profession of arms. Uh, and that's how it should be viewed as that person's yeah. perspective. And it'll, uh, you know, become uh, a part of, uh, it'll be a first-hand account, one of a larger future, historical exactly, record. Yeah. And it'll be that person's perspective uh, and a valuable perspective as well. Uh, and there's also history precedent uh, worldwide, not just in this country, of people writing about their military experiences. Uh, I mean, Grant has his memoirs. Um, and uh, it's, what's, it's, it's not a new thing. What is new is the exposure mm-hmm. for that sort of thing from the, the social media side of the house, which is where a lot of people um, struggle uh, with it because... Yeah. There's just so many different ways, and uh, the guys can can mess up that exposure. Sure. Um, so, anyway, so that's kind of that's what I, what I, I think. I about think, the, the I think books. what you're pointing out something really important, though, that down the line, decades from now, we're going to be able to take these books, these firsthand accounts um, from different people, different soldiers on the ground, and we're going to be able to combine that with declassified documents 
declassified drone footage. I mean, there's going to be such a, a, a plethora of information, especially from this war, more so than any other in the past, that you're going to be able to combine all of these and have a, a more accurate historical record than we've had for any war in the past. No, I think you're right. It's going to, the hard part is going to be uh, sifting through yeah. all that data. Um, you know, that, that's, uh, that, that's going to be the challenge. Uh, and even though this was fiction, I still wanted to submit it to DOD um, because if you read that regulation about um, uh, from the Department of Defense Office of Pre-Publication and Review, I just wanted to honor my former security clearances, so I submitted this to the DOD, and I'll, I, uh, the next one is uh, is there now, getting reviewed, and they took out a few sentences, so I, uh, even though oh, it's really? fiction, uh, there, I left them redacted in the novel, uh, one, because I didn't want to have to try to write around them, or I didn't know if I had to then write around them and then resubmit and wait another two to, you know, month or two for them to get back to me on it. So I just left them redacted as they were taken out by the, by I don't the DOD. So they're, uh, they're kind of near the end of the book there, but they took out five or six sentences. I mean, you've had a far better experience with DOD than I have. I mean, I wrote an article um, and it was interviewing guys uh, who were in uh, Special Forces Detachment A in Berlin. So it was like a five, 6,000 word article. That thing is still sitting with DOD on appeal. It's been years. Oh, the appeal, they can take a while. I also didn't want to appeal anything because when I read how long it could take, uh, they can string that out for quite some time. Um, so I just left the redactions in. But Wild. That's tough. That yeah. is tough. And I thought there was a different regulation that pertained to media and you know news, so it's not the same regulation that applies to memoirs and, and, uh, and fiction, if you interpret that regulation um, conservatively. But uh, there's another one that applies to people. That's why guy, why people can go on CNN or Fox News and, the day after they retire and talk about ongoing military operations without anyone reviewing it because it's a, it's a different regulation. But um, well, it's also, I think, the Department of Justice, just the rules apply differently if you have a certain rank and mm-hmm. if you were, say, you were the director of the CIA. Like, if it was a lower and underling that went on CNN and made those comments, like, they could be looking at being prosecuted. But no one's going to, DOJ's not going to prosecute John Brennan, a former DCI. Yeah, I, I just wanted to make sure. I, I want to give the, the government uh, uh, as little as I can. Yeah, no, I understand. To, yeah. <laughs> to come after me. So, uh, yeah, that's why, why I sent it in. And then, you know, it kind of works, uh, you know, makes it a little more mysterious as to, hey, what did they take out? And, like, <laughs> can I figure out what they took out here and, and all that? And I was really surprised by what they did take out because it's uh, are there things that are, are part of the national dialogue and easily google a bull. But Yeah, uh, it's hey, always that's weird. That's how it goes. Yeah. I was just, and I was surprised at some things they didn't take out. Actually, I'm like, ah, oh, this might be a little dicey. They couldn't care less about that. More of the uh, kind of the explosive stuff that I talk about in here. And uh, I left, I left at least one major point, point port, portion out so that a kid couldn't actually recreate some of the things that that the protagonist does in the mm-hmm. book. It, it's interesting too. The CIA uh, Public Review Board, they for some reason they always take out the term special operations. Oh, interesting. They don't like that term, and they replace it with special forces. That's <laughs> odd. Yeah, it is. <laughs> I don't get it. <laughs> huh. I remember in Rob O'Neill's book, SEAL Team 6 is blacked out. Oh, big parts of it are? No, just just the the, the words. SEAL Team oh, 6. Oh, really? Yeah. <laughs> As if we don't know what what's he's the, talking about. What's well, that? <laughs> well, that's the, that's the thing. Whenever we, uh, not all the time, but a lot of times we'll interview JSOC guys, and they refer to, I served in the Army Special Mission Unit. Right. And it's like, when you say that, everyone knows what you're talking about. <laughs> 
It's so like, why a, do we have to dress it up? What about the know. email I got where they were like, Ian, stop using the D word. The Delta D word. Force. So I was like, really? Is that, I'm not allowed well, to say it? Army I mean, counterterrorism <laughs> unit. Like, come on, guys. <laughs> let's come let's on. see. So in the back of the book, uh, I have a glossary of terms. And they, so they took a few things out oh, yeah. of that. But uh, if we go to the D, where is there? The D word? Yeah. Here we oh, go. there it is, the D so, word. There we go. So they took out so this part. They blacked so out. They blacked out a little part of that, yeah. <laughs> but they let me keep the word in there. So uh, okay. I could say the word, and then I said a classic 1986 film starring Chuck Norris, titled the 1983 <laughs> Autobiography by the unit's first commanding officer, and popular name for the Army's special blacked blah, out. Blah, 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 blah. <laughs> so, yeah, very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. So, yeah, I, I always liked having when I was a kid, I liked going, having a glossary of terms in the back of military yeah, books. Yeah, that makes and, sense. Because uh, so, yeah. there's probably, you know, a 10-year-old, 13-year-old kid who wants to read this, who wants to do what you did. Yep. No, exactly. Next time, though, I'm going to mention it in the uh, the author's note in the beginning that there's a glossary in the back, because a lot of people have mentioned that they didn't know that there was a glossary in the back, and they wish they'd known that we're, ahead of time. We're acronym heavy. Yeah. So, yeah. Uh, no, I, I try to explain it as I go along, but there's a few times in dialogue or whatever where it doesn't make sense to do that. And uh, there's also a few little gems in the back there for, for people, so I didn't make it a cut and dry glossary. There's some uh, from people that have been in the in the military or people that are uh, semi-political. They'll they'll find some humor uh, woven into that glossary. <laughs> so I wanted, I wanted to make it kind of part of the storyline as well as with the acknowledgments. I wanted to thank everybody that has uh, helped me over the years and really took it as an opportunity to to be able to say thank you to, to everybody that helps uh, me and my family as we transition. That's awesome. Well, the book is the Terminal List. It's available everywhere books are sold. You could follow Jack on Twitter or Instagram at Jack Carr USA. And that's two R's in car, Jack, C-A-R-R-U-S-A. Uh, the website is officialjackcar.com. Wrapping things up here. Hold on, only... one more thing. Okay, yeah, when, yeah. When's True yeah. Believer come out? Uh, next spring. So I think next it's spring. Uh, April 2nd is what's, uh, what's on the calendar so right back. now. Yeah. So that would be wonderful. Yeah, I'll be absolutely. back here in New York. I'd love to, love to come in and say hi to you guys yeah. and hopefully bring some movie news along with me. That'll be awesome. Sounds like a plan. Yeah, awesome. no, that, and there's, you know, hope to see, like, more movies out with guys of your background where you're going to be there making sure, like, is the dialogue right? Is the act, are the action sequences right? Because you guys point it out all the time when you see these movies and you're, like, what you know, Zero Dark Thirty is the one I heard the most criticism of. But Oh, gosh. Yeah. <laughs> Um, all right, well, wrapping things up here, there's only one club out there with gear handpicked by special operations military veterans from several branches, and that, of course, is Crate Club. I'm looking forward to the future co- collaboration we're doing with NFW Watches for an exclusive Crate Club watch for premium tier members. That's coming soon. We have different tiers of membership depending on how prepared you want to be, and gift options are available as well. You can check that all out at CrateClub.us. Once again, that's CrateClub. .us for you dog owners. Check this out. You're going to love this. We've just partnered with Kuna. They have a team of trained canine handlers picking out a box for your dog every month of healthy treats and training aids. It's custom built for your dog's size and age as well. The products are U.S. sourced, all natural, and they not only promote a healthy diet, but also promote being active with your dog. So whether we're talking a pit bull or a chihuahua, this is just what you're looking for. And you can see all of that at kuna.dog. That's kuna.dog. It's efficient for you. Your dog's going to appreciate it as well, of course. And that's spelled C-U-N-A dot D-O-G. Also, as a reminder for those listening and watching now that we're doing these uh, YouTube videos, 
uh, for a limited time, you can receive a 50% discounted membership to the Spec Ops channel, our channel that offers the most exclusive shows, documentaries, and interviews covering the most exciting military content today. The Spec Ops channel premiere show Training Cell follows former Special Operations Forces as they participate in the most advanced training in the country. Everything from shooting schools, defensive driving, jungle and winter warfare, climbing, and much more. Again, you can watch this content by subscribing to the Spec Ops channel, and that's at specopschannel.com. Take advantage of a limited-time offer of 50% off your membership. It's only $4.99 a month. The uh, iOS app is available, as well as the Android app. Uh, and with that, I mean, this has been awesome. Any other stuff that you're plugging? I know you're seeing some charity work. Anything else you want to get out there or... Yeah, no, I think we're putting the uh, on the website the different foundations that uh, that I support that uh, that I've had had uh, some experience with over the years. But uh, there's also for the guys that are really into the gear side of the house, the website goes into some more detail on the guns and knives and my personal experience with those. So Sweet. if anybody wants a little more uh, information on some of the gear and weapons that are used in the book, then uh, that's uh, that's on the website. Awesome. Well, this has been a pleasure. Uh, loved having you in here, and love you know having guys on of your background. And, uh, yeah, really appreciate it. Thanks again for you guys for joining us for our first new setup of this YouTube thing. If you're watching on YouTube, hopefully you enjoyed it. We'll be doing more of these. Uh, keep spreading the word. Thanks, guys. been listening to soft rep radio new episodes up every wednesday and friday for all of the great content from our veteran journalists join us and become a team room member today at softrep.com follow the show on instagram and twitter at soft rep radio and be sure to also check out the power of thought podcast hosted by hurricane group ceo and navy seal sniper instructor brandon webb